Good evening, Fellowship College, man. We are pumped that you guys are back in Fayetteville, or maybe you never left, but if you left, it's probably the same, except maybe a little colder. Um, but man, we're, I've been looking forward to this night since the 15th, which was the last service. 
we had in here. And Garland and I were talking about, it. man, we just really enjoy Sunday nights to get to worship alongside all of you. And it's a special thing. And so I'm thankful to the Lord for this ministry, for you guys. And so we're gonna continue to sing and we're gonna sing songs of praise to our King this evening.
Father, as we lift our voices this evening and sing praises to your mighty name, God, we declare that it is you and you alone that deserves our praise. It's you and you alone who are worthy of our praise this evening. So God, stir the affections in our hearts for your son, Jesus. God, the, the redemption that we receive through your son, may that, may that inspire us to sing loud and to worship this evening. God, we love you. We're thankful for your son. It's in him that we can rest. It's in him we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, just a couple quick announcements. One, thank you all for wearing your masks and for practicing social distancing because that is the only way we're gonna keep Sunday nights going. Secondly, I know you've probably heard about the small group launch that happened back in the fall. So most of those groups are still going to continue to meet into the spring. And if you are interested in getting involved in that type of community, just go ahead to Instagram at our link in the bio or come up to one of us after the service and we can get you plugged in. If you're already in a group, your leader should be reaching out to you soon to talk to you about what it's gonna look like this semester. And lastly, there is something that you've probably all heard of called the residency for fellowship. So right now I'm actually the college resident. And if you have more questions about that, I would love to meet with y'all. But also we're gonna have a video coming up next to help explain what this whole experience is like. My name is Anna Catherine Pravat, and I am from Greenville, North Carolina. And so I just moved here right before doing the residency. The residency is a year-long program in which um, myself and a group of other young adults are coming to work at the church. Uh, walking into the residency, I had just graduated from college and wasn't exactly sure where I was going to be going, what I was going to be doing. but. Um, in the residency, I've gotten to meet some incredible people. I've gotten to live alongside other women who are pursuing after the Lord and are just trying to, like me, listen to what the Lord has for them. And so it looks like taking some classes with really wise people who are teaching us about the Bible and leadership. And it is an incredibly growing year. It's a year of challenge, but a year of um, growth more than anything of getting to know a lot about who you are and a lot about what scripture says because you never know what the Lord is going to say or do or how he's going to move within that year. All right, it's over. So hey, if you are a graduating senior, you're trying to figure out if ministry's for you, or you wanna look at what does it look like to work for a church, or you're going, man, I, I just wanna learn more about that. The residency would be a great place for you to apply. Do me a favor, with the person next to you, if you don't know them, introduce yourself, but COVID, of course, like do that the right way, fist bump or something. Answer this question, if you made a New Year's resolution or even thought about a goal or something, what was it? Share with the person next to you.
All right. Um, this, this, by show of hands, help me out here. How many of you, I'm Garland, by the way, one of the pastors here. I'm just curious because uh, I, I wanna, it's always hard for me to know like, who I'm talking to here. So how many of you, you don't have to call it a resolution, uh, but if you made a New Year's resolution or some kind of a goal or you thought about it in any way, shape, or form, I need to do this better in the next year. Raise your hand. You're one of those people. Raise it high. Be, 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 uh, be vulnerable about that. Okay. Uh, I'm always interested in the, the list that people make every year. I guess they do this through polls or websites or something like that. They always let, they, they let us know what the most popular New Year's resolutions are. And I'm a little bit surprised. I thought coming off of the misery that was 2020, this list would be a little bit different. But it looks like most lists that are out there um, every single year. Now, Let's see if you can guess. I left number one out on purpose. Number one is number one literally every year. What do you think it is? That, that just was, sounded like complete noise. Uh, what, did you, what do you think it is? Yeah, okay, that, that's how I heard it for sure. All right, yeah, number one every single year is exercise more or lose weight or eat healthier or something like that. Uh, almost every year, I'm surprised it wasn't higher actually from this past year. Every year in the top 10 is drink less, like alcohol less. And so I thought that'd be way high in 20, after coming off 2020, but it didn't make the top six. Uh, if you made one of these on the list, raise your hand. All right, so here's what I wanna know. If you made a New Year's resolution, and by the way, we could change number five to maybe be like, uh, do better in school or something like that for you guys uh, if you're still in school. Um, let, me, let me ask you this. That thing just fell. This is a good start. Um, let me ask you this. If you didn't make one of that, the one, if you made a resolution but it's not on this list, this list what, and if you're willing to share, you gotta speak loudly, what was your resolution? I'm just curious who I'm talking to here. Anybody wanna be vulnerable and share? What? All right, get a 4.0. Anybody make that one? Anybody set their bar a little lower? Like 3.0, I'll be fine with a 2.7 this semester. Anybody debate that one? How many of your goals involve grades of some kind? All right, a couple of you. What was it over here? Somebody had their hand up for something over here? Some kind of resolution that was on the list? I'm just curious. Yes. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Is that because COVID, we never have to leave in our, outside of our jammies anymore? Everybody lives in their jammies now? Okay. And by the way, I am a 35-year-old man that still calls them jammies exclusively. Uh, so you just got a little insight into me there. What else? Anything else that I'm missing? So where'd you, I love your resolution was wear jeans once a week. All right, that's a high bar. What else we got? Anything else that I'm missing? Is that it? So y'all are gonna make 2.75s and wear jeans once a week this year. <laughs> All right, that's good, that's good. How many of you made number one this year? How many for you, number one? Exercise more or lose weight or eat healthier? Okay, just a, just a handful of you. Y'all are all in great shape, apparently. Um, the reality, they say, is on New Year's resolutions, they tend to, uh, the average person is done with their new, new Year's resolution by February 1st. That's the average. So if you are, if you're hanging in there right now, you got about two weeks left. It's about to be over. It's more than two weeks. Three weeks left is about to be over for most of us. Those New Year's resolutions don't last that long. I kind of liked where it was, Josh, but that's good. Thank you for fixing that. Uh, we're going to start a, a series that we're going to look at from now until your new weird spring break. Thank you, Josh. Oh. 
Let's just leave it right there. Whoever's playing piano later, I have to worry about it. Um, we're starting this series. Just take it back there. We, yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to work now. We should get ones that have like college, something to do with college. We're just white. That's all we have. So um, we're starting a new series on parables. And what we're going to do from now until your weird spring break that y'all have this year, you of A students have the weird spring break, from now until that, we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And what, the reason we're doing that is we want to see uh, the way that Jesus, one of the primary ways he taught was through these parables. And what we want to do is, as we look at them is we have to, first of all, understand them correctly. And, and I'm going to spend the first probably eight minutes or so, we're just going to talk about how do we even make sense or interpret parables, and then we're going to move on to our parable for tonight. So a little bit of intro, then we're going to dive into our parable for tonight. This intro, by the way, is going to be really instructive, I think, for you as a person hopefully trying to follow Jesus, if that's you in the room, trying to study your Bible and read it. And so my bet would be, for most of us in the room, if, if, if I say, what's a parable? Define a parable for me. We have this kind of what I'm calling an old school definition of a parable, and it goes something like this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Something like that. Now, I'm gonna push back on this definition in a minute, so don't, don't write it down. I'm not, I don't think this is a good definition for a parable. Here's, I think, how we usually think that, that a parable works. Jesus told some kind of a story, you know, a regular old story about farmers or fathers and sons or something like that, and I'm supposed to deduce the kind of moral, spiritual lesson for me to be a better person or a better Christian or something like that. And if you think about it, that's, that's kind of how our, like, fables or fairy tales work. I picked the creepiest picture of the boy who cried wolf I could find on Google. So if I ask you, in the boy who cried wolf story, and I'm, I'm assuming that we're at least somewhat familiar with that story, what is the, the moral lesson about how I can be a better person in the boy who cried wolf story? What is the moral of that story? Say it loud so I can hear. Be honest, right? Don't lie, because if you lie, a wolf will eat you. That's basically what happens in the story. He lies and lies, and the wolf eventually comes and eats him the last time the wolf's really there. Now, the second one's a little harder. What about the story of the tortoise and the, and the hare? What is the moral of that story? All right, so we always say that it's slow and steady wins the race. That's not really the only moral of the story. If you remember the story, the rabbit actually gets off to the big lead, the hare, and then it takes a nap in the arrogance that it has, thinking it's so much better than the turtle. So the moral of that story is basically, don't get arrogant about how good you think you are, but instead be deliberate and measured as you go through life, something like that. These are you know, regular old stories or stories that have some kind of moral lesson. Now, the problem is we don't use these stories in our culture hardly at all anymore. They used to be instructive, but this is not how we communicate. I don't tell my kids the story of the, the boy who cried wolf anymore. It doesn't communicate. But we have, we actually have a vehicle for communicating these sorts of moral stories in our culture now, and they're called movies, especially Disney movies. This is what you the, the moral story that you grew up learning came primarily through those kinds of movies. And here's the thing with the Disney movies. The Disney movies' morality often line up right alongside the kind of postmodern existential American culture that we find ourselves in. So the, the, perp, the, the morality oftentimes, the little lesson of a lot of the Disney movies, it tells a story, and the lesson is something like uh, you need to figure out the true, deep you, and then live that out. Don't let anybody get in your way of doing that. 
And oftentimes that tends to be the moral of a lot of the Disney movies. It's even written on the poster of Wreck-It Ralph. There's no one I'd rather be than me. I can't, I can't think of the word responsibility often without the line from Spider-Man coming to my head. Finish it for me. With great power. Okay, so we get this moral lesson from these kinds of stories and movies oftentimes. And if we try to think of parables as stories with some sort of morality lesson behind it, then we're never going to understand the parables. This, the boy who cried wolf or something like that, that is not what Jesus is doing with parables at all. Not at all. Jesus is taking regular images from his culture and his day, and he is going to tell a narrative with those images that will instruct his audience as to the nature of his kingship and who he is as king. He's going to give a radical flip on everything they think the king of Israel should look like. He's inviting his audience into an entirely new way to see their world, an entirely new way to see the story of their scriptures play out. And he's doing so very intentionally. He's using these stories to both reveal his kingship and conceal his kingship because of the given audience that he's talking to. Uh, one of the commentators says it this way, I think he's really helpful. He says, a parable is like a modern political cartoon. A good political cartoon presents an interpretive analogy, and it is for the viewer to work out its meaning, first by understanding it, then by reacting to it critically, and finally by taking action accordingly. Now, while I think this is helpful, I don't think anybody in here looks at political cartoons. I know I don't, so that's not all that helpful for me. What I was thinking of, what's a modern-day analogy, and I'm assuming more people are familiar at least with the medium of what this is, it's actually a lot more like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Now, I picked the best cast that I think is the best cast, this one. Maybe the Will Ferrell, Tina Fey cast. Keenan Thompson's been on there for like 103 years. Uh, but he's also the best one on there right now. So if you think about what Saturday Night Live does, or any sketch comedy does, what they're gonna do is they're gonna tell a short narrative and in the course of that short narrative, what they're going to do is they're going to, be, they're going to be doing satire or making a comment oftentimes about things in the culture or about politicians or about uh, different aspects of things going on in our world. And they're going to do so. And you have to almost, you have to lean in and understand the comment that they're making. It requires some work on the, uh, on the, count of the, on the part of the audience. You have to lean in to get what they're saying. And if you lean in, oftentimes you'll get the message. They're making a scathing comment about this politician, but they're doing so in a way that you, you have to lean in to get it. Does it make sense? And I think this is much more like what Jesus, now it's, he's, not being, he's not trying to be funny with his parables, but this is more like what Jesus is doing than giving us some sort of cute little moral lesson that we can take away to be a better person. That's not what Jesus is doing primarily with the parables. Let me give you a, just a helpful tool. When you read the parables for the rest of your life, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, and I'm assuming some of you are, maybe many of you are, then let this be the way that you look at the parables for the rest of your life. Here it is. When you study the parables, don't ask, what is this saying about me, first and foremost? Don't go, what's the cute moral lesson for me being a better person? That might come later, but start with, what is this saying about Jesus and his kingdom? And then maybe later will come, what does this mean for me now? And with that all as our introduction, we're gonna get down to the parable of the seeds, or it's often called the parable of the sower, or even sometimes called the parable of the four soils. It is used as the paradigm for all 
of the parables in the Bible. It reflects the flavor of almost all of them, and that's why it finds a very prominent place in the Gospels, this particular parable. And to look at this parable, we're going to do our normal three points. Here's why I give you the three points, by the way. I know they say this all the time. We're a Bible church. We're a fellowship Bible church in Fayetteville. We want to help you, whether you're a believer in the room or you're checking this thing out or you got a lot of questions, you don't even know if you like this whole thing. We want to help you understand the Bible. And then we want to help you be able to disciple and reteach others in the Bible. So I'm giving you three points you could take notes. So I Thank you for bringing Bibles and notebooks or a note on your phone or whatever that may be. But write stuff down so that you can reteach it later. Here's our three points. First, we're gonna see the surprising king in a surprising kingdom. Second, we're gonna see a very mixed response to this king. And lastly, hopefully we can all walk out of here and see that what Jesus is talking about is going to be the life of the productive life of value and purpose and meaning and influence that all of us, I think, actually want. And Jesus is gonna give us a surprising look by seeing the surprising king. We're gonna look at the mixed response and lastly, the productive life. If you got your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter four or your digital device, your phone, whatever you got. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we have some in the info booth. I would love to gift that to you. If you don't own one, you don't have one with you here in Fayetteville, if you, were, if you don't be, believe in Jesus, you're like, I don't know, but I'll read a Bible, I would love to give you. Come find me, I will give you a Bible before we leave tonight. If you just left it at the apartment or the dorm, you, that, no big deal, you can get that later. But if you don't own one, we'd love to give you one. Mark chapter four, let's pick it up in verse one. Here we go. We're told this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching says, so he's got the crowd and they're, all, they're listening to him and he's sitting by the shore of a lake. And because I'm a visual person, it tells me to see where the, what this looks like. Or I'm gonna picture lakes here. This is the north part of the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake in modern day Israel. And this would be around where Jesus would be having this conversation. There's the crowd gathered up here on the shore. They begin to press into Jesus so that he's stepping down in the water. They say, get a boat over here. And he steps into the boat. You with me? This is our scene. Crowds on the shore, Jesus in the boat. Put yourself there, all right? Be in the scene. Now look at verse three. It's a, it's a very strange thing that Jesus does. Here's this crowd. He's in the boat. And because maybe you're familiar with the Bible or you're used to parables, you're like, well, I get this, but... It'd be, it's very strange. This has not happened yet in the Gospel of Mark. Normal stuff's going on. Here comes the crowd. He gets in the boat, and then he goes, listen, I got a story. There was this farmer. He went out to throw some seed out, and he scattered some seed out, and he's gonna, gonna describe these four different types of seed. Some fell on a path, and the birds ate it. And then some of the seed fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, okay? Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. But still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and produced a crop that was multiplying 30, 60, 100 times. Hey, and if you got ears, hear. It's strange. Like if you don't immediately think, that's a strange thing, Jesus. Why did you do that? Like the crowd's there, they wanna hear your teaching. What's up with the farmer thing? Why'd you start telling this strange story? And what we have to understand in this story is Jesus, he comes onto the scene 
And he begins to tell this story with the crowd sitting there. And to understand why he tells the story, we've got to get some context. We've got to see what's going on in the bigger picture as Mark presents it. When you read parables, always check the context. What came before, what's coming after. And to do that, we're going to have to jump all the way back to the very first, ber- the very first verse of Mark. So go f- a few pages back to Mark chapter 1 or scroll back or hit the left arrow on your Bible app. Let's see what takes place before this because it's going to give us the context for why Jesus does this. The gospel begins this way. It says, the beginning of the good news, just write in your Bible, gospel, same Greek word, the euangelion, the good news about Jesus, who is, he's the Messiah, which means he's Israel's king, and he's also the son of God, which means he's the king of all the kings of the earth. And then what Mark does, he begins his gospel by smashing together a quote from Malachi and Isaiah, and he smashes them together, and these These quotes that he puts together, they all have to do with what will it be like when Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, comes back to visit his people. One day, Yahweh's coming back, and when he does, certain things are going to happen. If you go go look at Isaiah chapter 40, 1, 2, and 3, this is where he quotes verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for Yahweh, the creator God of Israel. Who is this Yahweh, and when is he coming back, and how will we know? And the prophets had filled their expectations for what it would look like when Yahweh returns. Let me summarize it for you here. When Yahweh comes back, they're expecting some things to happen. First, he's going to set up his kingdom. Finally, we'll have our kingdom of Israel back with the the king from David's line on the throne. He's been gone for hundreds of years, and we're waiting for the return of the king. And finally, when Yahweh comes back, we'll have our kingdom again. And if we're gonna have our kingdom again, that means the Romans gotta go. Yahweh will defeat all of our enemies. It used to be Babylon, then Persia, then Greece. Now it's Rome, and he's gonna come, and he's gonna take a sword and wipe them all out. When he comes back, we get our kingdom back, our enemies get defeated, and if he does that, That means he's finally forgiving us for all of our generations of sin. When Yahweh comes back, these things are going to happen. And Mark says, what John the Baptist is saying is Yahweh coming. He puts Jesus in the Yahweh slot. And it's no surprise then that just a couple verses later, Jesus is going to announce himself as the king. He says, it says he went into Galilee proclaiming, same word, the gospel of God. The gospel, now if I asked you, define the gospel for me. I think a lot of us would say the gospel is, we would say something about uh, Jesus died in my place for my sin and I get to go to heaven. And that's awesome. That's definitely a part of the gospel. But here comes Jesus and Mark says, he begins to proclaim the gospel. And what is the gospel message Jesus proclaims? Look at it. The time has come, he says. The kingdom of God has come near It's time for Yahweh to be king. I'm Yahweh coming to visit his people. Repent, turn, and believe this gospel. And then if you read from this verse on, what Jesus is gonna be doing is very surprising things. He's hanging with the wrong people. He's saying the wrong things. Like he's from the wrong town. He's from Nazareth. He's in the wrong area of the country. He's not where the powerful people are. He keeps talking about suffering and sacrifice. He starts talking about dying on a cross. He doesn't talk about killing the Romans, but being killed. It's very surprising and shocking. The way that he proclaims his kingdom is not at all 
what they're expecting. Have you ever had something or met someone that just wasn't what you were expecting, just didn't live up to your expectation that you had? Uh, I was, this past summer, I was working out. Uh, I do work out occasionally. And uh, I was working out at the, the gym that I work out at. And uh, me and another, guy, another buddy of mine, and uh, Dre Greenlaw, who, who's from here and he played for the Hogs, he, he came in. And he ended up coming to the, like the, right next to us. We were doing squats here, and he was right next to us. And uh, we got to talk in, and as he came in, and by the way, I'll, let me put a picture of him up here, because he's, uh, this is him right here. He, um, he came in, and I go, dude, that's, that's Dre Greenlaw. And he goes, yeah, I know it's Dre Greenlaw. And, and he, as he got closer, I was like, he's like my height. I'm like, he's, he's not that much bigger. He's not bigger than me. Like, that's it? And then he got, he started doing, he started kind of setting up next to us. And I was, and we ended up started talking to him. And I was like, man, he doesn't look like, I was expecting, he's an all pro linebacker. I'm like, this guy's gonna be huge. And he comes in, he's like my height. And he puts the squat bar up and he puts a 45 on each side of the squat bar. And I, I look at my friend, I'm like, that's all he's doing? He's an NFL linebacker. And we had like 45s and like 35s. So I'm like, we're doing more than him. Can you believe this? And I was actually, I actually, I think I forgot, like, I think I just forgot how working out works. In that one moment, I was like, man, I'm stronger than Dre Greenlaw. Like, it just didn't, our ex, my expectations of what he would look like, like, I've seen him in there before, and uh, we ended up working out several times, like, I guess at the same time with him, that we ended up getting, becoming, like, like, talking every time and laughing and stuff. But at, at first, I was like, he's not that impressive. He's not what I was expecting, now, as a, as a total pause to finish, put a, put a bow on that story, uh, he put, he put a, a, one pair of 45s on the bar and did like 12 or 15. And then he put another set of 45s on and did like 12 or 15. And then he put another set of 45s on and did like 12 or 15. Then he put another set of 45s on and then he did like 12 or 15. And uh, then, and we're, by this point, we're like, oh my gosh, like I would die from that. Like I would literally die. And then he put a fifth pair of 45s on, and as he got, as he got it on his back, because uh, it's not like a professional gym, I guess, he said, he goes, yeah, that bar, I don't think this bar is gonna be able to hold it. And I literally, I literally looked at him and I go, dude, I have that problem all the time. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the bar doesn't ever hold what I'm trying to put on there. Um, and so he wasn't what, it just wasn't what I was expecting at first. I don't know if you ever, if you ever maybe you have a different experience than, I, than I've had. Uh, when I've gone to New York a couple times, the first time I remember going down to Battery Park and you look across the Hudson River and uh, the Statue of Liberty always is like, it dominates the landscape in pictures and in movies. And I looked out over there and it just wasn't as impressive. It wasn't what I thought. Like the expectations, it's still cool and all that, but I was expecting this thing to be just enormous. And it just, it was less than what my expectations were. And when Jesus shows up, he begins pro proclaiming a kingdom that they're not expecting at all. They should have expected if they looked at their prophets. But as he proclaims this kingdom of welcoming the sinner and welcoming the broken and inviting the Gentile, the non-Jew, and service and sacrifice. Like he will say later on in his gospel, things like this. He, he calls the leaders, his disciples together, and he says, you know how kings always operate, right? You know how the leaders and the rulers of the Gentiles operate, right? They're always clamoring for power. They always lord it over each other. Now, can I, I'm gonna do a hard stop real fast. Um, I, I, we were trying to figure out where to do this, and I was like, I don't know where to have this conversation. I'm gonna put it right here, okay? Um, so hard time out, we'll come back. Uh, this has been a very strange week. 
right? It's been a strange year, full of very strange things that have happened in our country. And Wednesday was, uh, was, was one more to add, what happened in D.C. And I, I just want to make a point about the way that humanity, our record in how we deal with power and authority. I'm not making a comment about any party or any person right here. I'm talking about that humanity. Humanity's record of taking the power that God has given us to rule and then bless the, bless the world with, our record because of sin is abysmal. And instead, we often do exactly what Jesus is gonna talk about here. The kings of the earth, the rulers of the Gentiles, he says, they're always lording their power over each other. They use violence, they use deception, they, they build and amass power, and they're always clamoring over each other for more and more and more and more. And when they have it, they can't lose it, and it corrupts. And Jesus is going to consistently critique this kind of clamoring for power. And instead, he's gonna offer something radically different. He's gonna offer a kind of power that looks like non-power, Power looks strong and mighty, economic power and military power and political might and, and money. In our culture, we've now added beauty to that, fame and celebrity. And Jesus is gonna go, not so with you. And can I just, before we time back in, when we as followers of Jesus, I'm only talking to followers of Jesus in the room, when we as followers of Jesus try to align ourselves with worldly power, it will always go bad, always. It will always end up making the gospel get corrupted, okay? So we, we have to be careful with how we define power or how we define winning in this culture that we live in. Look at how Jesus defines it, all right? So time back in. He offers a very surprising kind of kingdom that people in his day don't want anything to do with, and guess what? People in our day don't want anything to do with it. Look at what he says. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what your king is, the kind of kingdom he's talking about. He says, not so with you. Instead, think of how difficult, how difficult this is even in our country now, in our world now. He says, whoever wants to become great among you, you gotta become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. He says, that's the way that my kingdom operates. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a surprising king with a surprising and shocking kingdom. Now, that's going to be a longer point. Trust me, the next two will be faster. Let's look at the mixed response, because this response is going to set up why Jesus delivers this parable. In Mark's gospel, we've seen various responses to Jesus. Some people, like Simon and Andrew, we're gonna see James and John, they see Jesus' announcement of the king and they go, we don't have all the answers, we don't got it all figured out, but we're in. It says they left everything and followed him. This is an amazing picture of what discipleship looks like. What does it look like to follow Jesus? They left everything and followed him. We're gonna come back to it. But still other people, we're gonna see just a few verses later, some people, they, they were impressed with Jesus. They thought, man, it's cool what he says. I kind of like the way he teaches. Man, I like what he's about, and sure, he does some cool stuff. He's got this, he can order the demons around. That's awesome and all. They're impressed with Jesus. They'll, they'll kind of listen and turn their heads towards him. They haven't left everything to follow him. But then we're gonna see some other 
responses to Jesus. Look just a few verses later. The religious leaders, by the way, these guys have some power in the first century. They've got some political power. And they begin to see Jesus as a threat. Look what they say. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I don't know if you've ever had somebody, maybe it was back home, maybe somebody at your school back home, maybe somebody here in Fayetteville, that they just don't like you. And you're not exactly sure why, or maybe something happened, they just don't like you. And you, can, and you know that they talk about you, they chirp about you. And, it, you know, and I know how, some of you know, you know how painful that is. Like when you know somebody genuinely, they just don't like you. And we're gonna see this begin to well up more and more just a few verses later. Why does he eat with them? We don't associate with tax collectors, with sinners. See how Jesus is surprising kingdoms now getting a very mixed response. Just a few verses later, the Pharisees, and by the way, the Herodians, they're the ones with the political power. They're real, they've really got a lot to lose. They've got, all, they got things lined up in Jerusalem with the Romans. And the Pharisees and the Herodians, they get together now, and they begin to plot how they might kill Jesus. I don't know if people dislike you that bad, but they begin to plot how they might kill Jesus. Just a few verses later, they're going to say, you do these things by the power of Beelzebul, which is the chief demon figure in hell. Your power, it's not from God, it's from hell. And these responses are going to gather. He's got some that have left everything, some that are mad, some that are interested. And in light of that, Jesus, as the crowds gather, he goes, let me tell you a story. Now, do you see the context of this parable? Jesus looks out at the climate of his day. He can sense the tension all around, and now he gets smart, and he starts to tell parables to both reveal and conceal. Notice, three soils. Those three soils, they progress. The first one doesn't even come to life. The second one comes to life, but then dies quickly. The third comes to life, but doesn't produce anything. It's only the fourth soil, and the tense changes with the fourth soil. The first three soils, all of those are in the Greek, what is called the aorist tense. What that means is the action is completed. The verb represents an action that's completed. Then in verse eight, all these verbs are gonna be in what's the, what we might say is the ongoing verb tense. So I, I didn't like how the NIV was doing this. I give, I'm giving you mine, because I think it, we, gotta care, we gotta bring out the verb here. And others fell into the good soil, and it was giving its fruit, coming up and growing. It was multiplying, 130, 160, 100. And Jesus said, do you get it? All these crowds, hey, I, let me tell you a story about a farmer. Hey, do you get it? If you have ears to hear, lean in. He wants the people in the crowd to go, I, I wanna hear more about that. And those that would wanna harm him to go, what's that weird story all about? All right, I'm walking away. Or those that are going, he's cool and all. Oh, that's kind of weird. I don't get it. I'm, I'm done. He's being very intentional with why and where he tells these stories. And then, so the disciples press in. Look at what they do. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around asked him about the parables. They go, what are you doing? Hey, what? We're just curious now. Like, we're alone with you. What's going on with the story? Have you been talking normal? Why do you got to bring this weird farmer story up? And look at what he says. The secret of the kingdom of God. I've gotta, I've gotta keep this thing safe because they're, they're plotting to kill me. 
you don't recognize it, but they want to kill me. If I, if I come out and say that what they're aligning with, worldly power will fall, they'll come at me. So I'm going to tell, tell it in a story. That way you will press in, and they will go. They still see it, but they won't get it. They'll hear it, but they won't get it. You see what Jesus is doing? It's really clever, and it's really intentional. Now, he explains what he means. And I think Mark, including this explanation, brings the context now also to anyone who would read this gospel, including you and including me. So hear it. He interprets it for you. Let's see what Jesus' interpretation is. He says, don't you get it? If you don't get this one, how will you get any of them? The farmer sows the word, the word of the kingdom, this gospel message that it's time for God to be king. And he says, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Frightening reality. You with me on this one? This is frightening. What Jesus is saying is there are people in his day and anybody who would read Mark, but there's people in our day who have been ensnared and put in prison by their idolatry. They worship the things of this world. They worship their body image or they worship money or they worship uh, getting married one day or they worship reputation. And those idols have behind them a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual rebellion that's in place with our human rebellion. They're wedded together. Here's what's frightening about this. Some of you in this room, you're praying for somebody that doesn't know Jesus right now and they're ensnared by this this, this spiritual reality that he's, that he's here calling Satan. And what I would advise all of us to do, for those people, our family and friends, is we gotta pray like crazy. Hey, by the way, you know what also that means? Somebody listening, probably in this room right now, everything you're listening to right now, you're going, yeah, whatever. And you might walk out of here tonight and go right back to those idols, and behind those idols, behind that thing you're giving your soul and your life to, hoping it's gonna make you happy and give you fulfillment and give you authenticity and connection, all that, Behind that is a spiritual lie whispering into your ear, and you don't even know it. It's what Genesis 3 would teach us. So Jesus says some of the, some of the seed, the word of the kingdom falls on that kind of a soil, that kind of a person. He continues. He says, some, though, fell on rocky places where people hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. They get excited about it. But since they have no root, and the NIV didn't bring this out, so I put it in brackets, they don't have any root. They don't have root in themselves. I just think that's worth thinking about. They last only a short time. Notice it. When trouble or persecution comes, underline it, highlight it. Because of the word, they quickly fall away. They go, this Jesus guy's awesome. This is cool. I like what you're saying, but the second you ask me to sacrifice for it, I'm out. I gotta give up stuff for you? Like my, my family and friends might not get it for you? I don't know. And that, I'm gonna bring this into our world. It's like, does that describe some of us in this room? Yeah, Jesus is cool and all, but I'm not giving up sex. Or I'm not giving up functions and parties. I know you can't have right now, I guess. I don't know, whatever, you can do whatever you want. I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up drinking. I'm not giving up, I'm not giving up drugs. I'm not giving up my parents' expectations of me. I'm not just, or maybe even, maybe even harder. Yeah, I like Jesus and all, but when I really take a stand for him, my group of people doesn't think that's cool. And I'm, I'm, I begin to back away from that. 
they, they fall away because of the trouble or persecution, because of the word. The third soil, this one I think perfectly describes the culture of Jesus' day and weirdly enough, the culture of our day. Look at it. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word. This description is just so spot on to modern, to, to where we live. But the worries of the age, that's the word life here, the worries of the culture, the culture's obsessions and worries. If I think about our culture, the worries of the age, uh, am I good enough and am I pretty or beautiful enough or do I have enough? Am I, do, I have, do I have enough connection? Do I have enough friends? Am I known enough? Am I gonna, is, that, is that person gonna love me back? Are my grades good enough? The worries of the age. And he continues, the deceitfulness of wealth. I think that goes, that's pretty self-explanatory in our culture, the materialism that where we live in. And the, now here's the word. I know we, I talk about this word all the time. Every time I see it, I mention it to you. The word desire here is the word uh, epithumia. That word literally means thumos is the word for heat or passion, and epi means over. It's an over desire, an inflamed desire. Oftentimes this word is translated lust. Let me, let me put it to you this way. You wanting to take care of your body, like that's a good desire, like to stay in shape, to eat healthy, that's a good desire. But an over-desire will lead to eating disorder, will lead to you always comparing, will lead to you never seeing, only seeing like what you don't like about you. A desire to uh, make, get a good job one day is great. Some of you have a good job right now and it's awesome, but an over-desire for money or for stuff that will lead to you being enslaved to the number of, the, the amount of money you have or the car that you drive or the house that you get or what, how far north in Dallas you can move and keep moving north down there. It, it just, that kind of over-inflamed desire begins to own us. Like a desire for good grades is a good thing, but an over-desire will lead you to be hyper-obsessed. You'll, ne- you'll, you'll cut out all of your friends. You won't have any fun. You will be, you'll be wrecked when you get a B. You don't get the four point. An inflamed desire can ru- ruin you and wreck you. He says it makes it unfruitful. I love how he describes it. They come in and chokes the word. But lastly, he says, other seed is like the good soil. And it produces the kind of life. It produces the kind of life that the kingdom is about. The kind of abundance the kind of blessing that Jesus' kingdom is here to bring. He's giving a very stark comment to the people in his day, and I think to anyone who would read this parable. Now, here's, here's how we end with a productive life. This will be fast. Um, I, I would guess that none of you in the room, just hear me, I would guess that none of you on the, in the room at your funeral one day, none of you in the room at your funeral want people to walk up and go, stand at the podium and go, you know, she just, she wasn't all that great. She didn't really do anything and wasn't that important and she didn't really make any impact on my life. Next guy. Yeah, I said the same thing about her. She kind of sucked and didn't really do anything and I don't really know her that well. Like, if you think about it, if, and I know this is a little bit of a morbid illustration, but if you think about it, all of us, like all of us want to have lives of like 
impact and meaning and we want to have lives of like authenticity where we're not just going through the motions and we want to have lives that like make an influence on people, make impact in this world. Like none of us want to go through life sort of unknown and, and uh, like isolated and alone and not making any impact. And even, the one, even those of you in the room that are like introverted and fearful and anxious and worried, you still want to make impact in the, the, your family and your friends and in this world. Like that's what we want we want to have lives of value and of meaning and of intentionality and purpose. I'm guessing that almost all of us in the room, whether, by the way, you're a follower of Jesus or you're like, I don't know about all that Jesus stuff, you still want that. And I think what Jesus is giving us insight into is the kind of, I'm calling it the productive life, but because he's using a farm metaphor, but I really mean he means the life of value and, and meaning and the life of worth and a life of impact, a life of abundance, a life of joy. He's giving us insight into how we find it. And maybe for you tonight, you might just become that good soil. You might go, man, that's it. He's describing the kind of life that is abundant and overflows out into the world. Later on, he'll say this, and I think this is the insight that we need before we pray. He'll say things like this over and over and over again, and it's right in line with the message of the kingdom that he's talking about. See chapter eight with me. He called, same thing, calls the crowds together and along with his disciples and he said, if you want that kind of life, you want that productive life, you want that abundant life, you wanna be my disciple, my follower, he says, three things. He says, you gotta deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Those first two verbs are in that completed sense. Deny yourself. And then he says, take a cross. It's an instrument of death it's not a glorious thing. It's an instrument of humiliation. Those are both in the completed sense and then in the, in the ongoing sense and follow me. And he says something only Jesus could say. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Only Jesus can say, but whoever loses their life for me, everything else in this world, relationships, politicians, uh, money, sex, pleasure, chase it. And every one of those things say, lose your life for me. And you know what ends up happening? They end up robbing you of joy. They end up enslaving you to more pleasure or more money or more sex or more relations, whatever it may be. Jesus is the only king who says, bow at my feet and I will actually give you the abundant life that you ask. Come and kneel before me as king, and I'll set you free. It's the radical kingdom that Jesus is offering, and he's the only one that can say it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? That's my question for you and for me tonight. Would we be the kind of responders to Jesus' gospel call? We leave everything, and we come follow him. We need this. We need this in our world right now. We need followers of Jesus to bend the knee to him follow. And to that end, here's how we're going to close tonight. I'm going to put the Lord's Prayer up. And we do this this morning. Uh, I'm going to invite you, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, just stay where you're seated. Nobody's going to judge you or think weird of you. But followers of Jesus, would you join me? Could you get off your seat and kneel down with just on your knees, both knees? And we're going to posture ourselves before our King. And we're going to say this prayer together as we close. The radical kingdom, the cross-shaped kingdom that Jesus has brought He's announced 
that he's purchased on the cross and he invites you and I to the abundant life of taking up our cross. We bow our knees to him. Let's pray. And I want you to pray this, if you know it, and pray it out loud with me together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus, right here on our knees. It's, it's January the 10th, 2021, and you are the king. And you are on your throne. And on that cross, as Mark's gospel points ultimately to a cross, you were enthroned there. What a strange throne. They put a crown on your head, but it wasn't a crown of gold. And they put a robe on your back, but it was a robe of humiliation. And you were lifted up, but lifted up on a cross. And there you shamed the world systems of power. And you demonstrated that you indeed are our king. And in your resurrection, you put sin and death to run. And so, Jesus, we walk in the confidence of that. We kneel in the humility that that should bring to us. And we want to say that we obey and we follow you radically. Whatever you ask of us, this is our resolution to you. We pledge our allegiance to you. We ask this, Jesus, our King, in your name. Amen. Would y'all stand? Let's worship. There is a day. 
Christ. 
our victories, you're still better than any comfort this world could offer, all the riches this world could offer, would we believe that you're better, that that would be our anthem that we leave this place with, the anthem that followers of Jesus that meet here or at C3 or at Stumo or on churches this Sunday morning, that that would be the posture of people that follow you, because it's what our world desperately needs the true king, the good king, the king who loved us and gave himself for us. So Jesus, that's the anthem that we leave this place with. May we be the good soil. He was our king. Last of your name. Amen. Hey, I got a resolution for you, a New Year's challenge, we might say, or just a, this next semester. Make that a daily posture. Before you leave your apartment or your dorm or wherever you live, hit your knees Pray the Lord's Prayer, and then pray it again in your own, take each clause, each phrase, and just pray that in your own words. What does it mean for you to say, Lord, give me today my daily bread. I don't want anything more than that. Just don't let me get trapped in materialism. Give me just what I need to obey you today as my king. From now until we're done with this parable series, or from now till spring break, it's my challenge for you, my challenge for me. We pledge our allegiance daily to our king. 
We're so glad to be back. We love y'all. Missed you guys while we were off the last few weeks. We'll be right here next week. God bless you. Have a great evening. See y'all next week. Have a good week, everybody.